continuing our study verse by verse through the book of Galatians. And uh, Galatians chapter 1 tonight, uh, verses 18 through 24. And uh, Paul is up against quite a bit of opposition uh, in this passage of Scripture. He's there in the churches of Galatia. Paul's an outsider. Uh, he's a, a new man on the block, if you would. And uh, he was formerly a, a fierce persecutor and killer of Christians and uh, hated Christian churches. And uh, so he is not well received, uh, and the Jewish people really are not receiving him because they feel like he's a traitor. He's stabbing them in the back. He used to be one of them, and now he's no longer a part of them uh, because he has his faith in Jesus, and he's not a part of some religious system. And so, I mean, Paul is hated by the religious people, the the religious crowds he used to hang around. He's hated by uh, some of the Christians because he put their family members in jail. Uh, So Paul, in this book of Galatians, is having to advocate and to, uh, to justify that he is indeed an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so it's quite the, uh, the challenge. Can you imagine starting your ministry and you're trying to preach to Christians and they're against you because you used to kill them uh, and you're, the whole crowd you used to wit, you know, the crowd you used to be a part of and you want to witness to them and they hate you because you're no longer what you used to be. And, and so, I mean, Paul is really a, in a hard spot. And so he's preaching to the church of Galatia, which are Gentiles, they're not Jewish people, but the Jewish people are trying to impose all their Jewish laws and rules, you need to do this, you need to do this, and, and this is what is going on here in the church, uh, churches of Galatia, it's a, multitudes of churches, but, and uh, uh, so we know local churches is what we find in the scriptures. But Paul's distinctive reception of the gospel was where they tried to get rid of him. His distinctive reputation in the gospel, as has been mentioned before, uh, they said, Paul, you're not an apostle. You're not one of Jesus' disciples. You're an outsider. So again, all of this stuff. But Paul clearly uh, stands up. He says, Christ has called me. I've got what I've done. And uh, we'll find here as we look at verses 18 through 24. And we're going to finish out chapter 1 this evening, Lord willing. So would you follow along with me? Verse 18 of Galatians chapter 1. And if you remember, just uh, on this segue here, uh, coming into verse 18, he went aside, he gets uh, saved there on the road to Damascus, he goes apart for three years and spends some time with God and the Word of God. And he gets to know Christ on a personal level. He uh, is, removes himself from the whole Jewish system. He goes away, uh, as we find in verse, he said I, in verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he goes into Arabia uh, to just spend some time, to get alone, get away from all the riffraff and all the stuff going on in his life, and to just really work on his relationship with God. After three years, we pick up verse 18, then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other the apostles saw I none, same James, the Lord's brother. Now, this right here smacks in the face of the teaching of Mary being this somehow immaculate or this uh, perpetual virgin. She, she had children. 
Now, she was a virgin entering into the relationship, but Mary had children. She is not this uh, you know, woman that only had Jesus and the mother of God, which is complete heresy. But uh, on this fact here, Jesus had a brother, as we find here. Now, it would be a half-brother because Joseph is not his father. He was conceived uh, of God. Now, verse 20, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards, I come into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. So now Paul comes into the churches of Judea, this all region of churches, and they're like, we'd heard something happened to you, but we never saw you. So is he legit? I mean, is he a spy? Is he coming to, you know, kind of rat us out? What's going on here? And so we're going to look at this idea tonight and these verses here, and we'll talk about this. And so let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon tonight, uh, and then we will uh, commence in our studies. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you, and God, I thank you for the word of God. Lord, it's a challenge, I know, in the reception of truth. Lord, we know the Apostle Paul had many adversaries. The Jews sought to kill him. The Gentiles sought to kill him. And yet he persisted. He knew what he was supposed to do. And though there was persecution, though there was opposition that was fierce, he continued on with what he knew he was supposed to do, what you had called him to do. And Father, I pray that in our lives, as there's opposition, as there's struggles, that Lord, we would not be deterred by the very things that would seek to hinder and destroy us. But Father, we would just look to you Lord, that we know retreat as we look and focus upon yourself. And so, God, I pray that the word of God that goes forth this evening would be clear and understandable and make an impact. Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit to convict and guide us. And so, God, you take over. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. His acceptance in Jerusalem, Paul had already really formulated his theology. He'd begun his apostolic ministry. And uh, he established, kind of established some relationships. So after three years, uh, going into Arabia, spending some time with God, doing his training and teaching and all of that that God was doing with him, he goes to Jerusalem to see Peter. Now, it was a good thing, a good relationship to have. You didn't want to be some renegade guy. Apostle Paul, huh? Who is this? You wanted the apostles to also say, hey, the apostle Paul is legitimately of God. He's of Christ. And so... What a meeting this would have been. You know, the Apostle Peter meeting, you know, the Apostles of the Jews, their uh, leader at the church in Jerusalem, and uh, they stood looking at each other. Here's Peter and Paul coming together. You know, here's Paul, Peter, a simple Galilean fisherman. Peter is not one of these very well-educated men. He was a fisherman before this. Now, they were rather rough, if you remember in the scriptures, or I'll let you know, but Peter was one of those guys that was kind of hasty to talk. I mean, he kind of, he put his foot in his mouth a lot. He said things he shouldn't have said, and he just spoke too much, and, and, and oftentimes Christ would correct him. And, uh, you know, he's like, Lord, I'll never deny you. And, you know, just a few hours later, he's denying Christ. And, uh, and there's many other things that he said, but Peter was one of those guys that was not one of those very academic men, and yet God used him mightily. 
Then you have the Apostle Paul, who was unbelievably well-educated, brilliant, genius, university-educated. I mean, Paul was a man, you know, uh, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He followed the Jewish laws. He knew all the laws. I mean, Paul was an incredibly well-educated, well-versed man uh, from the Scriptures and in literature. You know, they really would have had nothing in common. But yet in Jesus Christ, they were brothers in Christ. Different backgrounds, different settings, different educational levels, potentially different uh, income levels, and yet in Christ, they're equal. You know, see, that's one of the things, just to take a, a quick segue, but inside a church, it doesn't matter what our backgrounds are, it doesn't matter where we've come from, if we know Jesus Christ, we are a part of the family of God. And you can imagine the hundreds of questions that Paul had to ask Peter. I mean, just think about this. Paul comes to Peter and he's like, what was it like to be with Jesus? You know, and uh, what, you know, all of these stories that maybe he would, Peter would tell about uh, Jesus' baptism or his temptation in the wilderness or his ministry or maybe he'd talk about, uh, you know, his transfiguration on the mount where it was Jesus and, and uh, Moses and Elijah there and if I'm wrong, I'm drawing a blank on this. But anyways, there at the Mount of Transfiguration, he saw Jesus in his uh, glorified state. And, you know, he could tell of the miracles of Jesus. I mean, Peter could go on and on and on about all the stuff he saw with Jesus. And maybe he'd take him there to the place at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, this is where our, my, our Lord was betrayed. Or maybe he'd take him to the upper room and said, this is where we had our last Passover. Or maybe he'd take him to the place where he sat and he said, this is where I betrayed my Savior. If you remember when Peter betrayed Jesus, he betrayed him. Jesus said, you'll betray me three times before the cock crows, before the rooster crows in the morning. And he did. And the rooster crows and he looks up from the courtyard and he catches a glimpse of Jesus there as he's on trial and Jesus' eye catches Peter's eye after he'd already denied him. And he went so far to curse. He was cursing and saying, I don't know this man. He caught the eye of Jesus and he went out and wept bitterly because they had been, here they had been you know, working and ministering together for three years and turned his, turned his back on the very friend. And uh, you know, imagine all of this, you know, P Paul saying, or Peter saying, this is where you know, we prayed and Judas kissed him and I cut his ear off of this soldier. You know, all of these stories that could have gone on. And, but all of this, you think about these two that now Paul is meeting Peter. It says and he was with him for 15 days. What, a, what an amazing thing. You know what? I, I find it incredible. I can go all across this country and you can go into other places and you meet a believer and there's a... There's already a bond there of someone that really loves Jesus Christ. And here, you know, also potentially Peter could take Paul to the place where Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, imagine this very same thing. Now he meets James. But other, the apostle saw a nun named James, the Lord's brother. Imagine talking with James, the, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and saying, how was Jesus growing up? What was it like to sit there in your home 
with Jesus, who's perfect, and the Messiah, what would it have been like? Tell me about Mary and Joseph. Tell me about the carpenter shop. As you think about all of these things and these ideas, I can only imagine what it would be like to meet the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ and sit down with him. And this is exactly what happened. And so Paul is getting the endorsement of the very men that are leading the church in Jerusalem. And he's getting their endorsement and to go forth and they pray and they work together and some in this church and another in this church. And churches all over the place had happened. Then we come after this meeting in verse 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Now he makes a statement like this because, again, he's had a lot of people that said, Paul, you're just a liar. Paul, you're a new form of religion. Paul, uh, you're bringing a gospel which is of man. It's not of God. And so he has to, again, deal with his integrity. He says, I'm bringing you what is of God. You know when someone challenges your integrity and you know you're a person of integrity, that is one of those things that is very, uh, I would say, offensive. When, when someone challenges your integrity and you've proven yourself in the integrity of your heart that you are someone that can be trustworthy. So Paul's integrity is here at stake. And uh, the gospel that he's given, he said, after I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia... But he says, the gospel that I'm giving to you is not of me. It was what Christ had given to him. He was telling the truth. He had not met all the apostles and his gospel was given to him by Jesus Christ. It was imperative that the Galatians believe him. These churches, all of these churches are infiltrated. All these these churches over this region are infiltrated or they have people inside the church who want to tell them, believe in Jesus, but, but, you must be circumcised, but, you must partake in this holiday, but, and all of these rules that they want to add. And so Paul is coming in here and he's like, ah, all these Jews, these Jewish laws that people are trying to impose and put a burden on them, they're trying the freedom that Jesus wants to give and just faith alone, they want to replace with a whole bunch of rules. And so Paul here has his brief visit. He's escorted to Caesarea, the Roman seaport on the coast of Palestine. And he took a ship to the native Tarsus where he was from. And he evangelized in his hometown until the time Barnabas came looking for him to help him here. And Paul had nothing to hide. He had no more trips to Jerusalem, no more secret meetings with the apostles. You know, his next visit to Jerusalem would be one that he would mention in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says then, he says, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, if you want to look at it, then 14 years after, I went again, up again to Jerusalem. So in this pact of what's going on here, you know, he says, the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Now let me give you a little bit of history on this. In the year 67 B.C., Pompey thrashed the pirates of the eastern Mediterranean seaboard and reduced Cilicia to the status of a Roman province. He won the resounding victory over Mithridates in 64 and turned Syria into a Roman province too. From the year 25 BC, prior to the birth of Christ, all of eastern Cilicia, including the city of Tarsus, was administered as a single Roman province under the jurisdiction of a legate with his headquarters at Syrian Antioch. So what's going on here is there's a lot of upheaval, 
all this area is coming under Roman rule and little is known about Paul's activities in this area other than he went there and we know that he was evangelizing and evidently successful. Maybe Paul during this period of time had incurred the displeasure of you know, his father. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 seems to indicate that. And he was disinherited. And then his fame and popular, you know, popularity among the, the heathen, those who don't want anything to do with God, they're, they're the, you know, the intellectuals, the philosophers of that day. It, you know, Jesus Christ stands as quite a uh, stumbling block to the philosophers because it, it just seems too easy. To accept Jesus Christ by faith alone is all you need? Yes, it's a gift. You know, and um, Paul, his, you know, know, these schools, and, and, and Paul would have, as a child growing up, they would have wanted to, as a Jew, they grew, he grew up as a Jew, they would have wanted to shield him from some of this heathenism. And so for Paul to turn his back on the very upbringing that his parents taught him would be rather unsettling. Paul was a Hellenist. He'd grown up in the home of a Greek town. He was at home in the Septuagint. He would quote from the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Hebrew Bible in the Greek language. And he could still refer to himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But he had no, he had no doubt he had strict teaching, early training as a Jew. And Paul spoke both Greek and Hebrew with unbelievable fluency. His parents would have been liberal enough and, uh, you know, there were no Hellenizers in theology, but the fact is Paul uh, had been raised in a Gentile world, but he had been reared or educated in Jewish laws. As Paul is now turning his back on his background as a Jew and now going to the very people that the Jewish people would despise, the Gentiles. You know, when Paul showed up back at home in Tarsus as a Christian, it must have been a shock to his father. Maybe the rumors of his conversion had reached the family. I remember my own personal life when I told my grandfather, with whom I had a good relationship, I told my grandpa, I said, Grandpa, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the military, I'm leaving engineering, I'm going to the ministry. He said, you can make a whole bunch of money. I said, Grandpa, God's called me. And, uh, and I had others that said, well, you shouldn't do this. I said, well, I know God's called me. I've got to do it. And so I went to train. And Paul had visited, you know, Paul had to go back home and talk with his family. And the gospel had spread. You know, it's a challenge to be with others and your own family when they're against you. When your family is against the direction you're going in your life, and he had to labor on in the region of Syria and Cilicia, and plowing ahead little by little. He says, and then he comes after he goes back home and meets with his family, and potentially, you know, his family disinherits him. We don't know for sure, but nevertheless, Paul would go back a different man. When you meet Christ, you're a different, as the scriptures say, a different creature. You're a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What do you mean? 
2 Corinthians 5.17. I butchered that, so let me get that right there. All right, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So Paul goes back to family. He's new. Now you come to his acknowledgement in the place of Judea. In concluding this chapter 1 of Galatians 1, he mentions the Jewish believers and their dreaded persecutor. He tells his Galatian friends, he said, when I went back to the churches of Judea, they didn't know who I was. They had heard about me. Here's the infamous Saul, the persecutor and killer of Christians. You know, people at this time in the places of Judea, because remember when the persecution came to Jerusalem, where did they go? Jerusalem, Judea, and they, they, they spread. When the persecution came and they were killing Christians and they were, they were putting people in prison and taking away their homes and whatever else they were doing, they spread, it says Jerusalem, Judea, and, and they kept going on. So here are these, some of these Christians that have fled the persecution in Jerusalem. They're now in the region of Judea with all these different churches and they're thinking, good, we'll never see Saul's face again. And then he shows up in their church. Wow, that's quite the, uh, imagine the very person that maybe took your mom or your dad and put them in jail and took them away from you. And they show up in church. How would you feel? How would you feel if the very person that was responsible for hurting you, hurting your family, was now there in your church? Potentially the thought is he's a fox. He's coming in to spy us out and to hurt us. But he's there. You know, in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, let's look at this thought here this evening. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So Paul, after his conversion, he goes to the disciples, they don't believe him, and then he eventually goes off for three years and spends time with God. The persecution has stopped now in the time of the three years that Saul, now Paul, has been with Christ. The persecutor all of a sudden just vanishes from the scene. Over a three-year period, they've enjoyed some peace of these churches. And now, this persecutor shows up unannounced in the church. But you want to know something that's amazing? In Christianity, verse 24, and they glorified God in me. The arch enemy of a church was now a brother in Christ. He was preaching the faith which once he destroyed. Greek scholars point to the strong and perfect of the verbs, and they, these people would keep hearing the report, he's, he's a changed man. Did you hear about Saul of Tarsus? No, what happened to him? Oh my. And that story would go on and on and on to these churches, and now the wolf had become a sheep. The persecutor had become a preacher. He said, they glorified God in me. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. 
Can you imagine the shame and the guilt of all the damage that he had done in the name of God? Because Paul thought he was, Saul thought he was doing God a favor and exterminating these Christians. Get rid of these vile creatures. Get rid of these people that follow Jesus and have turned their back on our tradition. Get rid of these people that no longer want to be a part of our society. There's some new sect. There's some new people. And now, as Saul is gone, people can have church meetings without having to have people watching to see if the guards are going to come and take them away. How would you like to have church and have to be constantly concerned that the police could break in any time and take you away to prison? Would you still meet? Would you still come to church if, you could, if it was illegal to meet? It was not just that the persecutor had been saved, he was now preaching the faith he once destroyed. And so as you think about these ideas tonight, I just find it amazing that the Apostle Paul, in chapter 1 of Galatians, it's a shorter challenge tonight, it's a lot shorter than I anticipated, but on this message, but in Paul's life, all of chapter 1, he's saying, listen, people are against me. I've got the Jews against me. I've got Gentiles who don't believe in God. I, he says, I've got, a, I've got the apostles against me, perceivably. He says, I've got a lot of things against me. Now, I want to ask you a question tonight. And the Apostle Paul and his reputation in the gospel. Now, he did have a conversion. He did spend three years with Christ. And you know what? Many times when we have a bad reputation, it's going to take some time to prove that God has done something in my life, that God has changed me. And that's what Paul had to prove. He had to prove that I, uh, you know what, and when we get opposition, as we have our theme for this year, there is no retreat. Don't fall back. F continue on. I remember uh, I had a Earl, there was a gentleman, Earl Jessup, he told me, he said, when you go to the ministry, you have to be convinced that God called you there because there's going to be hard times and you're going to want to quit. He said, you've got to be convinced that what God has called you to do because you're going to want to quit. There's going to be discouraging days. You're going to want to throw in the towel. You're going to want to say it's not worth it. But he told me, and, and, and you know what, how true that is. I've had to continually go back and say, God has called me, and I'm going to continue with the calling because if I go against God, then I'm in big trouble. It's easy to say, but when you're really discouraged and you doubt, is this really the place I ought to be? You know what, Christian, Paul would suffer unbelievable things, but God would use a man who used to be a murderer of Christians to be one of the greatest believers we see in the Scriptures, to go on and do amazing, amazing things. And we have the faith of day, today of the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys as he would go all around the places. Even while he was in prison, he was still writing letters to churches and encouraging them and giving them God's Word and, and getting them grounded in, in solid doctrine, solid belief, solid uh, foundation upon who Jesus Christ is, what the church is, and all of these truths, the Apostle Paul would not let opposition stop him from being the man that God had called him to be. And Christian, Paul's reputation in the gospel was that nothing would stop him from what God had called him to do. And you know what? That's the same truth for us tonight. 
is that each and every one of us ought to be so firmly founded in the Word of God, firmly founded in a faith in Jesus Christ. You see, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ by faith, Jesus went to the cross with much opposition, even to death, and he fulfilled what he was called to do, knowing what he was supposed to do, and I'm so thankful that we have eternity, we have the promise of eternity in heaven for all who will receive the gift of Jesus Christ. And if you've never received that gift tonight, I encourage you, to call out to God, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins and be your Savior. You repent, you agree with God that you're a sinner, you deserve hell, and you ask Him to forgive you and be your Savior. And my friend, if you'll do that, you'll be gloriously saved. And Christian, we've got to be like the Apostle Paul. It doesn't matter who's against me. If Christ is for me, God is for me, continue on the path. Because at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, when I stand before God, what matters is that I did not quit for Him. I fulfilled what I was called to do. It doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish the race. Amen? And so as we have a time of invitation this evening with heads bowed and eyes closed, I know it was a short message and on this, but just think about this. If you put yourself in Paul's position with the Jews, the very people, your own, your own people, your own family against you because you've now put your faith in Christ and, and even others are against you and now you may feel alone, but promise you this, that God will send believers along the way to encourage you. And so Christian, take heart that God is for us. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, I trust tonight. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, just a time to pray and talk with the Lord Jesus Christ, however he may have spoken to you during the service uh, this evening. I trust you're encouraged and challenged to keep on the fight for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Keep on for doing what's right.